I got to tell you before I start, one of my absolute favorite things about doing church with you is the privilege I get to sit on that side during worship with these kids uh, and their and energy and excitement and stuff. So uh, for those of you who normally sit on this side, it may be well worth your time to wander over on this side occasionally. And those of you on this side, you may need to give up your space for someone to just be able to enjoy. I absolutely love that part of our services. So um, anyway, uh, good to be uh, with you. We're concluding the series that we've been in this whole summer on Abraham, where we're trying to understand the person of Abraham and what he means for us, to how we might live our life uh, of faith and how he's challenged us along life's journey that we might follow after God as best we can. And in Stephanie's scripture reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 11, we're told that Abraham was a man of deep faith, that he was known by his faith. He was known by this uh, deepness, confidence in the ways of God. Even though he didn't see all of it happen in his lifetime, he didn't see the fulfillment of God's promises before his very eyes, he looked forward to God being able to be fulfilling his promise. And he assured, uh, he was assured of what God said would actually happen. We're told in Hebrews that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we don't even see. That while our eyes are, are fixated on the here and now, we need to have eyes of faith to be reminded of what God is doing. And, and the story of Abraham, as we've been searching and studying it over this past few weeks or month and a half or so, has been a call to develop deep abiding faith that is increasingly confident in God being at work in our lives, even when we don't see it. That God is indeed in, around establishing His kingdom and His kingdom's rule, even when we don't see all of it, and even when we may not see the total fruition of it. Abraham lived his life, uh, and he lived in utter faith that God would be faithful to what he says, that God would do his promises, and that God would uh, come through on what he says is going to happen. And he lives this way as an example for you and for I. And he lives this way to model for us a life of faith, of deep and abiding confidence in God's good promises to come true when he says. And each of us, if we were truthful with one another, each of us have a hunger for something more. We realize at one level or another that this world and all the promises that this world gives us that are going to be satisfying and lasting, that this world, it, it leaves us wanting something more, leaves us not as satisfied as it says it's going to. The writer of the Older Testament book of Ecclesiastes tells us that God has placed eternity in our hearts. And it was St. Augustine some time ago who said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. And one of my all-time favorite writers, C.S. Lewis, said, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was made for another world. You see, we have this understanding, this restlessness in our hearts and this aspect that we realize that that which this world promises rarely gives what it, sat, what it promises and rarely is satisfying for what it says it's going to be. And there's, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God and that are we are made for something so much more than what we're experiencing right now. We were made for another world. You and I were made for a life with God. And the kingdom of God is both a future and a present reality. The kingdom of God is both right here and now, as well as something that's going to happen and be fully consummated and fulfilled 
in the future. It is both now present and inaugurated in life and ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, but it will come to its fulfillment in the future at some point, and God has promised this, and this kingdom will rule, and it will last for the rest of eternity. And for those of us that believe that the New Testament is true and is accurate, we understand ourselves as we live in this kind of in-between stage. We live in this in-between world, in-between the inauguration, the beginning, and the fulfillment. And so we learn, as we've learned with Abraham, to have eyes of faith, anticipating that which God has promised to actually come true. That when he says that all things will be made right and everything will be made new in the new heavens and the new earth, we are confident in God's promise, not only for today, but we are trusting him for tomorrow. And tomorrow's tomorrow. And the tomorrow after that. Faith, in other words, enables us to be confident in God's promises that one day all things will be set right and that in a new creation of a new heavens and a new earth and that for those who place their trust and their confidence in the Son, in God the Son, Jesus Christ the Lord, they will live for the rest of eternity and enjoy eternity in God's presence. And faith, Confidence that that will happen and that that is true and empowers us to work towards that end beginning now. To become people who are increasingly faithfully obedient to the ways of God and we are becoming people who will be at home in eternity and we're anticipating the day when eternity is reality and it is fully realized and we trust God to be true to that. We are sure that it will happen. And so we're beginning to live our life as if we're ready for it. And as we're preparing to live there. So as we kind of conclude this series with Abraham, this idea of faith, let's pray together and then we'll get started. Father, Son, and Spirit, we come humbly before you and we ask that our eyes would be open to see you. Our hearts would be responsive to receive what you have to teach us, to lead us to life everlasting. It's in your name we pray. Amen. One of the things about our culture, and I mean like American culture as a whole, is that we love our sports. And now, this may sound like ridiculous because I realize when I say that to people back in California or places that I, back home or places I know, it's different in Ohio. I get that. Ohioans love sports to a different level than I've ever experienced anything at all whatsoever. We cheer on our teams. We yell at the, at the TVs. We buy memorabilia. We, have, we go online and we order jerseys and we paint stuff all over our basement in whatever team color that you want to choose. And we celebrate victories. We, we hoard and we suffer through all of the defeats and all that stuff. And some of us, and I'll, I'm not going to point any fingers at this what time, but some of us are armchair, professional armchair quarterbacks. And you know, oh, you know who you are. You know well better than anyone else on the sports team what they're supposed to be doing, what kind of call the coach should be playing, why he's not doing that, why she's not doing that, whatever. And you know better than anyone else and anywhere else in the universe. You are the best, most perfect expert in that sport. And we, have, we love sports. We, we critique them all the time. We listen to sports talk radio shows, and we call in, and we talk about all the various errors that they make, and we're just getting all, anti, you know, all up and all that stuff. And while the truth is that none of us could even last more than 20 seconds on a practice field, you feel real, we feel real comfortable in our little 
position on the couch yelling and barking out orders and what they should be doing and all that stuff and what the Buckeyes need to be doing this year and what the Giants, oh, never mind, (laughs) what we need to be doing. But we talk sports all the time. We watch it. We organize our, our calendars around it. We, we vacation around sports. I mean, it's, it's a part of the culture. It just is. But very few of us could ever do even a fraction of a percentage of what those professional athletes do on any given Sunday or any baseball diamond or soccer field or anything else. We couldn't even do a fraction of a percentage of what they do. And while we love our sports, the truth is we are much better talkers and much better cheerer honors. If that's a word, cheerer honors. Bree, is that a word, cheerer honor? Close enough. We are better at that than we are at doing sports. We just really are. And sadly, for much of the Christian church, the same can be said about our faith. We are much better at talking, much better at studying much better at sitting around in living rooms and talking about what people ought to be doing in the church. But many people in the Christian church are not very good at doing, not very good at practicing faith. Most of us, truthfully, most of us, if we've been around the church at any length of time, we don't need another sermon to sit through and to listen to. We don't need another Bible study to go through. We don't need another book that's going to come through. We don't need to sit around and sip coffee. Well, we need coffee. But we don't need all those things. What we need is to start practicing what we've already heard. We need to start practicing what we have already heard. Because the Christian faith is not a spectator sport. It's not enough to get online to Amazon and order a jersey, get a few pieces of jewelry, slap a bumper sticker on your car, throw an inspirational poster up in your room and just call it good. It's not a spectator sport. It's not something you do these things and assume that you're on the winning team. It's a, something that you learn to practice to do. This is what we, le- we see and we learn from Abraham all through the summer is he's someone who hears from God and does. He hears from God and he starts something. He experiments with what is and he stumbles along the way. He's not perfect. He's not trying to get it right the first time. He just begins to take step after step of faith. And my friends, this is how your faith grows. It will never grow when we sit on an armchair quarterback just pontificating and thinking and reading and studying various books. Friends, you have to start doing faith. You have to start practicing faith. It simply will not do and won't happen on its own. The Christian faith was never meant to be a spectator sport filling stadiums with all these people that cheer and paint their bodies various colors but never do one thing to actually practice and participate on the field. The Christian sport, the Christian life is a participation, something that we do. We actively participate in life with God. And God is calling us, each of us, every last one of us, no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, God is calling each and every one of us to get off the sidelines and to step into the life of faith and to start working towards faithful obedience to God in one area or another. He's starting to ask us and calling us to live a life of faith, of action, of obedience to what God has called us to. Because faith is something you can't just talk about on a radio. Faith isn't something you can't just read about every once in a while. You can't just show up every so often on a Sunday and assume that things are going to grow and to deepen and to be fruitful. 
Faith is something we have to practice. And we see this in Abraham. And we see this all throughout his life. I was listening to a lecture this past week, and I was reminded of the importance of why we develop faithful obedience in this life and the ways and why we follow after the ways of God now and why it makes a difference for how we live now as we're anticipating and hopefully or looking hopeful to the future and watching God bring about his his fulfillment of his promise. And the person said that he asked the rhetorical question, what do the new heavens and the new earth for which we long, for what God has promised, for what he will be faithful to do, what does this eternity have anything to do with how I live now? How does that have anything to do with learning how to love and be patient and be kindness, be kind and be gentle? What does that have anything to do with how we live now? And he says, it's this. Because love is not our duty. It's our destiny. It is the language of eternity. It is who we will become in the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation. And so we purpose ourselves on this side of eternity around the things and the teachings of God and we practice a new way because the way of the kingdom is a way of love and of joy and of peace and so on. We practice the way of the kingdom now. Faith, as we've seen in Abraham's life and as we can attest to ourselves, faith is something we actually take one step after another after another. Faith is something we do. And we learn to live a new way. And we learn to live it step by step, stumbling along the way, making mistakes for sure, but we learn to practice. And as we practice and as we grow, our faith deepens and our faith grows and we're able to become the kind of people that will be at home in eternity when God's promise is fulfilled. Well, the Apostle Paul writes to his friends in the Church of Galatia, and he tells them about this kind of life, this kind of person that would become the kind of person at home in eternity. And he writes this about living or learning to live in step with the Spirit or in line with what God has called us to. And this is what he writes in the book of Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Friends, we are called to live by faith. To learn to live obedient to God's way. Where we are utterly confident that we are walking in the Spirit, in tune with where He wants to go, and we will learn to live the most satisfying, most abundant, most eternal life 
and it will lead us to that which God has promised us. And because eternal life is real, because the kingdom of God is true, and that God will indeed be true about bringing about the fulfillment of his kingdom, we can begin to practice those kinds of things and that kind of life right here and right now. We can begin to develop the language of eternity. And we can be known for these things. Abraham looked forward to a city whose architect was God, whose city and in the city whose inhabitants were no longer controlled by the, part, by the ways of their flesh, but were controlled by the ways of the Spirit. Where they had begun to live eternal and abundant lives, and they were experiencing the joy of eternity as a result. And they began to live this way right here and right now. And so my prayer for our community is that we would learn to live by faith. That we would offer this watching world an alternative reality, an alternative community, not one that's known by greed or by lust or by debauchery or by drunkenness, but one that is known of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and so on. Because that will be the language, that will be the culture of the new heavens and the new earth. And we do this not because it's some thing we're supposed to do to check it off on some religious list, but we're learning to grow in our faith and to deepen our life with God because in eternity we will be flooded with a community of people who have developed that kind of character, that kind of trust and faith in Jesus. And it's not easy. Practicing this kind of faith is not going to be easy at times. There will be voices in your life, internal voices and external voices in your life that try to convince you that the way of, of abundance or the way of a blessing life will be through greed or through lust or through sexual immorality or through you name it. And there will be voices that will tell you that that is the way in which you're going to live the most satisfying life. That that is the way in which you're going to just follow whatever you want to do, follow your own heart and just kind of do whatever you think is right. And there are all these voices around you, both internal and external, and culture around are going to be directing us into one direction. But the invitation to us is to learn to trust the Almighty Creator God Himself, that He knows what He's saying, that the path of true blessing and satisfying life is the faithful obedience to God's ways. And that we will learn to live in accordance to His ways for the rest of eternity. And Abraham stands for us as a sort of a model, a person who does this well, someone who's marked by a growing, deepening, abiding faith, someone who practices their faith one step in front of the next and in front of the next. In the beginning of Abraham's story, God calls him, tells him to leave the country that he's from and to go to a new place, to fully commit to a relationship, and to trusting God. And like Abraham, your story and my story, our faith story begins with a call where God calls you, invites you to leave behind the old ways and to learn to take up a new life. The call to leave behind the old ways of the flesh and to learn a new life of faith. In the words of the Apostle Paul, to no longer live in step of the flesh, but to learn and to live in step of faith, of the step of the Spirit, where we learn to live by joy and peace and patience and kindness, and it goes on. And unfortunately, many people see faith as just something that they kind of add on to their already hectic and busy schedule. They've got their list of priorities. They've got their list of kind of how things go, and they see God as just kind of something they just kind of add on to it. Like sprinkle a little Jesus on this thing and make it 
all good. And they just kind of leave their priorities the same. But the call in Abraham's life and the call in our life is a call of complete and utter reorienting our structure of priorities around God and around what He is doing in this world, not around me and what I am doing in this world, but a complete and utter reorienting of my priorities around God. It's not something that just gets added in to the nooks and crannies. It is a complete reorienting. Abraham's call was a call to leave and to take up a new way of living. And Abraham responds by taking one step in front of the next, in front of the next. And one of the reasons why people stay kind of in their infancy of faith and they profess faith in God, but they stay flat in their development of faith is because we have not yet fully committed to a reorientation of our priorities. Everything else is vying for number one space of our time, of our money, of our schedule, and everything else. And we have not yet completely reoriented our life around the call to follow God and to structure our life around His ways. Like Abraham did, you and I need to reorient and prioritize our life with God. To not allow other things to creep in to distract us. To not allow other things to, to nudge God aside, to nudge Him out of our way. But we need to prioritize time and create space in our schedule to prioritize following and pursuing and learning the ways of God. To prioritize studying God's Word. To prioritize prayer, a life of humility, to prioritize submission, to prioritize servanthood, to prioritize our gathering as the body of Christ, to stand before each other, with each other, to learn from God's word, to prioritize our life around and to reorient our life around the teachings and the ways of Jesus. And we need to do this. One of the very best ways I know how to do this is to take one of the areas that the Apostle Paul lists in Galatians 5 of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Take one of those and intentionally practice that for a week or two. Intentionally practice being patient, in other words. Intentionally practice being self-controlled or being loving with your words, with your actions, with everything. And while it may seem fake to some of you, like, you don't really mean it. You're, you're saying you're being self-controlled, but you're really not self-controlled. You're, you're just faking it while you're doing it. That may be true for these next few weeks. That may be true. But we also need to realize that sometimes we need to act our way into new thinking. We need to act our way into new thinking. So just take one aspect of that list. Galatians 5, chapter 5, verses 16 and on. Take one act or one aspect of that list and intentionally practice it for the next couple weeks. Create space. Reorient your priorities to prioritize that truth or that character trait and practice it. And you will begin to experience the transforming power of God's Spirit in your life. And you'll experience blessing in your life more than you can imagine. Way too many people stay in infancy in their faith because they just haven't intentionally practiced faith. They assume it's going to happen. They show up at the church on Sunday. They've got a Bible that's been sitting on their church and somehow by osmosis, the Spirit of God is just going to just change them somehow. Like that's going to happen. And we have yet to practice. And what we see, if anything, in Abraham is a man willing to take one step and then another step and then another step. So friends, practice faith. Don't assume it's going to happen on its own. 
It is a cooperative effort between us and the Holy Spirit. So create space. Intentionally practice the attributes of faith in that God has listed in Galatians 5. But a third way you can do this is begin, and what Abraham learned is to learn to trust the Lord to provide. Trust the Lord to provide. All throughout Abraham's story, he struggled with trusting the Lord to provide. He, God promised a blessing of children, and he struggled for God to provide that for him. He struggled to ask God to provide protection for his family. He struggled providing all sorts of, to provide uh, resources for his family. He didn't know what was going on. He struggled all along to see if he could trust in God. And every time that Abraham struggled or stumbled along in his faith, God showed up and proved himself trustworthy. Every time. And as we see him experiencing God to be trustworthy, that he will indeed provide, we see Abraham's growth deepening and his growth maturing. We see him every time stepping out in faith and God showing up and Abraham's faith deepens. And as a result of that, we see Abraham growing in generosity as his age gets on. You see, one of the ways in which we, our faith deepens is we learn to trust God that he will provide and we learn to grow in generosity and generosity and be more generous with our time, with our schedule, with our money. And we learn to use them for God's purposes, trusting that he will indeed provide all that we need. One practical way we do that is we learn to just give away our time and our money and our resources to the work of God. So I got just a real easy suggestion for us. Wherever you are in terms of generosity, if you're someone who seeks to to give a tithe to the church or you seek to give occasionally or you seek to kind of give some time to other people or whatever it is, wherever you are in your generosity, seek to increase your giving sometime this year. Seek to increase, not out of obligation, not in order to, to kind of pay the bills or not in order to kind of, you know, get God off your back or to check a box in the religious circle or something like that, to, but in a way to honor God and to step out in utter trust and faith that he will indu, indeed provide for you. He will indeed take care of you. When we give our offerings and we give our tithes on Sunday morning, when we give those, We give them with glad and sincere hearts. We give them in an act of worship because of what God has blessed us with and we are learning to trust God to provide all that we have. And so we graciously and we humbly and we we, uh, happily give it away. And we happily give it away. So wherever you are in, in terms of generosity, learn to increase your generosity this year. Learn to give more away. Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our generosity, or lack thereof, is an indication of where our heart is. How much we trust God to provide. How much we trust God that he will indeed be true to his promises. And when you choose to practice generosity, and when you choose to practice giving your money away, or giving your time away, and serving in one way or another, you will come to realize what many people have already realized, that God will indeed provide for you, and your faith will indeed deepen and be stronger. So create space. Prioritize the ways of God. Grow in generosity. Grow in generosity. Last quick suggestion. We develop our life of faith when we learn to receive grace. When we learn to receive grace. Abraham, as we've noted, stumbled all along in his faith. 
and he needed grace. He made mistake after mistake. And in his mistake, Abraham learned something really important about God. He learned that God does not give up on people. He doesn't give up on you when you've made mistakes. His grace is sufficient for your weaknesses. And his grace washes over, his love covers over a multitude of your sin. And so one of the ways in which we grow in our trust in God is we learn to receive grace. When we screw up, when we don't say something that we need to say, when we withhold something that shouldn't be withheld, when we say something in anger or when we stumble along and we don't really trust God, we need grace. And some of you, the very best thing I can tell you, the very best news that you could ever hear this morning is that God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. You may have insecurities and guilt and shame over the things you have done or the past mistakes or the history and all these things that you may feel judged and looked down upon. You may feel like people don't think anything of you. You may have all this weight on you, but you need to hear this morning that as we've seen in Abraham, God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. And one of the ways in which you can receive and deepen your life in faith and life with God is willing to admit the way in which you fall short of God's standard and then receive grace and forgiveness. To experience the arms of the Almighty Creator God picking you up, dusting you off, and setting you on your feet and sending you, walking with you. Friends, He's not giving up on you. And He didn't give up on you the first time. He didn't give up on you the second time. And thank goodness he hasn't given up on you the fourth or the fifth or the hundredth time. Perhaps this morning is a morning where you can finally receive grace. And you can turn towards God instead of hide or run or pretend along the way. Would you hear that God has not given up? God is not weary. He is full of compassion and love and he is slow to anger. And I would, and we would as a church family, love to walk with you. Wherever you are in your journey of faith, we would love to walk with you to explore what this life of faith looks like in your life. What it looks like for you to take one step after another, to turn towards grace, to walk towards generosity, to practice faith. We would love to walk alongside you. So if you want someone to journey with you, to talk with, to go out to lunch with, or to kind of journey with you as you follow Jesus, then mark it on a communication card, email the church office, give me a call, come up and talk to me. I would love to sit with you and walk with you and journey with you as you learn to trust Jesus more and more. And as your, deepen, or your faith deepens and we anticipate God being faithful to his promises. So may you and may I May we be a people who learn to live by faith where we are confidently looking forward to God's good promise of eternity. And may we prioritize His way of living. May we grow in generosity and may we trust God to provide and may we experience grace along the way. And may we give it to those that need it. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that are receptive to you, that can lean in and the courage to take step of, a bold step of faith after step of faith 
after step of faith, trusting that you will provide, trusting that your ways are good, that the ways of love and joy and peace and patience so much better than greed and lust and idolatry and drunkenness and the like. Give us the courage to walk in those ways and the grace we need along this journey. It's in your name we pray. Amen.